Welcome back to another episode of the Ship Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and I'm back in the United States. Um, and I am here with my producer, Brad Shoemaker, today of Creative Zombie Studios. How you doing? And Brad's been on the show a couple times before, but um, I kind of wanted to do an episode today uh, that documented that the last several weeks, well, months, whatever, we've been uh, traveling through Asia and kind of just to, rather than get it done on paper, get it done on audio and, you know, kind of talk about my experience that I had. And we did the same thing when Arthur came back from Tibet and Nepal and uh, everywhere else that he traveled to. So I guess this is my return from the Far East. So I'm going to let Brad take the reins here. So welcome to the show, Brad. Hey, what's going on? I mean, the first thing I got to ask, though, is since Arthur went, you know, when he did his Tibetan whatever, yeah. uh, what was it? His, his sojourn, spiritual his sojourn. sojourn, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was that? Uh, what was the uh, the rodent drink that he was oh, trying Oh, no, to it wasn't a rodent. He had jackal That's like, right, booze. jackal. No. So did you have anything close to jackal booze in no. Thailand and through the Asian uh, So there is, um, so I went through Thailand, Singapore, and um, well, our home base was Thailand. So we traveled a little bit. Um, we were based in Bangkok and then kind of um, traveled a little bit within Thailand, but not too much because it was supposed to be a break from work, not just like, right. you know, the first few weeks were still pretty hectic because we immediately went to Singapore upon landing. But um, in Vietnam, there is there was a village. We were in Hanoi, and apparently there's a village just uh, a little bit northeast of where we were where they still like serve snake, they have the snake whiskey, all that, but we didn't get there. And not that anybody else in my crew was really anxious about doing that. They had some moonshine on the street in uh, Hanoi, um, which was interesting, but yeah, it was just, you could tell from the taste it was rice based and it was probably like 38% alcohol, not super boozy, but, um, it was in a water bottle, you know. Uh, we we <laughs> you stopped. Know, I used water bottles to get vodka through and and uh, and you know clear tequila yeah. through to the Dave Matthews. Uh, oh Jesus! Concerts, but oh man, I don't think I'm gonna have to find a new producer. You like Dave Matthews? <laughs> no, nah, it was a th- wait. It was a three days. <laughs> it was my three days sojourn with a with a hot chick. So you know. Oh, okay, there you go. You put up with what you put up with, right? The um, yeah, the, the the hooch that he had was cool. I mean, we just sat down and he didn't speak any English and I don't speak any Vietnamese. And um, we're on those like little squat stools that are only like 12 inches up off of the sidewalk. And um, God, the food in Hanoi and Vietnam in general is just amazing. Like the whole country is amazing. I I can't wait to go back. And see, I've never been to the Asian continent at all. Yeah. I mean, it's quite different. I mean, that's what I guess was a little bit of a surprise that, you know, having spent so much time in Thailand and it's not that far away, you know, it's kind of just a hop, skip and a jump over to Vietnam that we figured that it couldn't be that different culturally, but, um, you were wrong. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely his own thing because there, of course it's a, um, previously a French colony. So there's like that, some French architecture, there's, um, the food's different and there's bread, you know, and bread, you don't see a lot of bread culture in, in a lot of Southeast Asia. Um, so yeah, it was cool. We just stopped on the sidewalk, eat, or ate a meal and this dude was like trying to hand me his water bottle. I'm like, no, 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 man, I, I, I got mine. And he's just motioning with his hands. He's like unscrewing the lid and trying to motion for me to smell it. Right. And I'm like, no, nah, it's cool. I got water, dude. And he's like, no, 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 here, here, here. And, I'm like, and I put my nose in it. I was like, ah, okay. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. So we sat there at lunchtime. It was lunch and just passed around right. his hooch and ate some uh, street food. So yeah, it was a good it was, time. It's always fun grabbing things that you have no idea what's in it. Yeah, you I mean, I was, know, right. but, you know, rice based, but I mean, beyond that, they could have yeah, been, I had no God idea knows what, right. I mean, and that just comes from like knowing what, you know, 
a rice-based liquor tastes yeah. like. Otherwise, I mean, if so, so, most travelers probably wouldn't have any clue what they were tasting. So where did you start out? You said Thailand's where you started. Right? So we started there, but um, so we landed in Bangkok and just kind of, I didn't plan well. My The initial idea was to land in Bangkok and just immediately go somewhere else so that if I really liked it, I could use some extra credit card points to go revisit it. Uh, like, cause we were there for so long that we could have made a couple more side trips if we wanted to. So, um, immediately went to Singapore, like two days later. So we just kind of landed, unpacked, ate, you know, a meal the next day. And then the day after that, we got back on a plane, um, and headed towards, uh, Singapore, nice. um, which was funny. I don't, I don't know if my Wife really wants me telling this story, but um, we were <laughs> in the not, airport. It, and, yeah, right. Nobody will know. We were on our way t- um, to Singapore. We were in uh, Suanapum Airport, and my wife had um, maybe overestimated the number of edibles she should take before getting on the airplane. <laughs> and um, we got to the airport, and it hit her like a ton of bricks. And so she was. Uh, we had a little bit of a, an issue, which was tended to be a theme through the whole like five weeks that we were in Asia um, <laughs> at immigration. But this one was because we had just forgotten to bring our exit slips because, you know, we were staying in Thailand and that was home base. So I just didn't even think about like multiple entry kind of thing. And you definitely get spoiled as an American having, you know, the, the blue passport and being able to just go into a country and get it stamped right. and leaving. And so that was a little bit of an issue. And so then we get through and she's like, I got to run to the restroom real quick. I'm like, all right. I guess she was feeling a little queasy because she really overdid the edibles. And I look up on the screen and it says like they're getting ready to close the door on our plane. And, <laughs> and we're like a full concourse away. Nice. And I can't run into the bathroom and get her. I'm in the airport. I don't have a Thai SIM card yet because we'd only been there for a day. So I hadn't really gone out to do that yet. So I'm freaking out and I'm trying to yell into the restroom her name. But we're in Thailand. That works in the United States because she's got a Thai name. In Thailand, everybody's like, yes, what? Are you yelling at me? I'm like, God damn it. She came out of the restroom. I was like, fucking run. <laughs> we, we, they closed the, the door behind us. Like, we almost didn't make it to Singapore. Right. But no, we, we landed in Singapore. It was amazing, man. What's the first thing you did in Singapore? It's crazy. You land. <laughs> so the first thing we did, you, no one... No American will ever believe this that has not been to Singapore was hang out at the airport for a little bit. Really? Um, a lot of food and There is a reason and... that that airport is consistently ranked like the number one airport in the world. There is like art there. They have butterfly gardens in the airport. There's this big, I can't remember, oh, Jewel, um, which is this giant like four-story waterfall that funnels down and through the whole, it's amazingly beautiful. It's And there's like a rainforest built around it, live plants, and it's... It's crazy. It's like being in a museum and you're like, this is the and the only thing that would tell you that you are not in an airport is that there are people with bags like walking past it. So basically it's like the, uh, what was that? The Nashville Hotel, uh, Opryland Hotel yeah, in an airport. I mean, it's so weird, man. It really was. And we were tripping out. And again, I was like, okay, this, this is why. Right. And that was our first kind of entree to Singapore. I'd never been there before. And you, of course, you know, we all hear the stories of like, you know, the, everybody knows the no chewing gum law, right. which I'm totally for. I hate chewing gum anyway, and it's a mess. I have restaurants, people stick them on the bottom of tables. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's incredibly clean. Yes, they have very strict laws, but leaving the airport, it was immediately apparent, like, that they care about appearances very much. So I... This is the way I've been describing it, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody in Singapore because it's not meant to be that. Um, 
but the whole island really felt like the front of the Bellagio or like the front of the Mirage oh, in nice. Las Vegas. Like everything is perfectly landscaped. Everything is perfectly manicured. Um, there are gardens. It's like an island that's just a giant manicured garden. It's completely beautiful. Um, even leaving the airport, you know, you're, it's, it, re- it was really striking. And there's a lot of green space. They've used as much of the, you know, the land that they can to dedicate to green space and still obviously have their city. It's a big international hub. It's, I think it's the busiest seaport in the world. I didn't know that prior to I going there. Either. It's not the biggest, but it's the busiest because pretty much everything goes to Singapore before it branches out and then right. vice versa. So, yeah, it was. It was just, it was a little weird because it was also like, wow, it's kind of like, a, what's that Jim Carrey movie where everything's like manufactured, you know, the world, you know, and it just felt like, wow, this the is Truman show. Tr- yeah. Truman show. I was like, this is feels a little manufactured because everything was like, so you're right. It is kind of a Vegas feel where everything's just sort of right there up front and beautiful right. and like you're like, it's meant to be that way. So it was great. Not though. a working city. Exactly. So that was our first kind of, you know, entrance to it. So immediately, of course, uh, it was an afternoon when we landed. So the first thing we did was immediately go find the, uh, um, uh, food market. So, the Hawker Stall in uh, the Maxwell uh, Hawker Center, which was very close to where we were staying, um, which is pretty much where we ate every meal. That's where we went right off the bat to go get some like duck and, you know, some chicken rice and all the things that you have to do when you're in Singapore. And then um, kind of immediately met up with my Sherpa. Um, he's so I had not met him before. But everybody in the cocktail industry in the know, if you have any connections whatsoever to Singapore, know this gentleman. Uh, his name is Moses Ko. And he is, he's like the Don Lee um, of Singapore, where, where we, we interviewed Don on a previous episode. But, you know, he's, he's not in the business. He can make damn good cocktails. He does guest shifts sometimes, but he knows literally everybody. Like all the bar owners know him, they respect him. We walk in and everybody makes a point to say hello to Moses. Um, he's a connector. And he's just, I, I don't know what he does for a living, but it sure as hell pays well because he told me that he pays <laughs> or that he visits anywhere between five to 10 bars every night. And so that's how he knows everyone. And um, if you look at like the 50 best list, despite the uh, controversy surrounding that these days, um, you know, Singapore always has. You know, like 10 to 15 bars on the top 50 in the world list. And then, you know, the um, top 50 bars in Asia, they have, you know, almost like every single spot. So, you know, it's pretty cool that he has all these connections. So he was kind of my my tour guide. You know, he was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have one drink here. Then we're going to walk down this way. And he knew all the back alleys. And, you know, you're like, are you sure we're going the right way? He's real tall and he moves quick and he's got his backpack. And it's, it's a bit of an effort just to keep up with him because you say real tall and you're not that short yourself. No, no. I mean, he's, he's probably my height and he is just, he moves like a cat. He knows where he's going. (laughs) So you're taking shortcuts through like little like building, you know, like alleyways and loading docks. And yeah, he knew where he was going. So yeah, we, we kept it pretty chill the first night. We started off at um, Jigger and Pony, which was in our hotel. That was not by coincidence. And so fantastic place. I mean, it's one of the best bars in the world. It ranks up there. And um, Silvio was our bartender, I think, every night that we were in town. He was amazing. So there's a lot of Italians working there. Um, that's what really struck me, I guess, 
us about Singapore is that there's a lot of, it's such an international city that you run across a lot of people not from there. Um, we talked about that so a couple like episodes back. It's, yeah, right. I, even more so, though, because, you know, it's become a spot to like, hey, I'm going to go check out Singapore and see what it's all about. And then people stay. And so um, we talked about it a little bit with well, VJ. So what happened? Uh, I was going to say, um, uh, what's his face uh, from Iceland? Norway? Yeah, Sweden. Yeah, Sweden. right. And so and VJ and I talked a, bit, a little bit about it on our sustainability episode of like, you know, there's just... Of the best bars in Singapore that are always on those lists and get all the uh, accolades, that he's the only one um, that's actually owned by a local. A lot of them are owned by, you know, companies that maybe are based out of the UK or somewhere else. So I'm not. that's not to say that they're bad because obviously everyone that works there is local and they have skin in the game. And so they have a, a reason to be doing these things. But... Again, it, it feeds into that Vegas thing, right? Like when you go to Vegas, everywhere <laughs> Franchised out a little bit? Yeah, I mean, kind of. Um, and again, I don't want these things to come across negatively because it just, it felt like a, just a big international city and it's not that big. It really isn't. It's quite small. And so that made the cocktail scene there really, really convenient um, to be able to hit a ton of bars. And that's why Moses was able to like take us around. It's always good so to many. find a guide though. Oh, my God. So I have to thank Kate Perry, also previous guest. Mm -hmm. But Kate hooked me up with Moses. And then when I got there, Moses and I you know, determined we had, like, I don't know, 700 mutual friends. It was like <laughs> right. he knows everyone because anyone that comes to Singapore looks him up. And he, he does this. I think he said to me, he goes, I hate to tell you this, Ed, but you're not my first. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's right. And he, you know, of course I'm not. You know, he's like, no, I, I do this all the time. I love doing it because, you know, I thanked him. I'm like. You know, I tried to buy him some drinks. He's like, no, no, don't worry about it. You know, it's cool. And I just was really, uh, I was really floored by his hospitality. Um, he didn't need to do it. And he's like, honestly, I was going to be doing this anyway. Right. That's why people come around with me, because I'm going to go to these places regardless. And it was him that took me to Native. Um, I was kind of burnt out. I still had not recovered from the jet lag, because we had landed in Asia and hadn't really regrouped. Right. And then immediately went to Singapore. And I was pretty, I was pretty toasted, like after going to Jigger and Pony. And then we went to uh, Junior, which that bar is amazing. It has like seven seats. They flipped the whole concept like every three months, four months. I had missed Tiki by a week, unfortunately, but they had moved it over to like Northern Alps. So it was like this Swiss chalet. They literally redo the whole bar because it's only like, I mean, it's, it's half the size of the studio. And um, there's only a handful of seats, and but it literally was like sitting in a Swiss chalet, having these like corner Northern Alps inspired drinks, and it was it was quite amazing. But then um, I was after that, I was like, man, I'm just I got to get some sleep. And he's like, please let me take you to one more bar. I'm like, man, I'm just not feeling it. Right. He's like, one more. And I'm like, all right, fine. So we, he takes me over to Native, and I immediately was like, this is this isn't like off the charts, amazing. Not only are the drinks amazing, but all the work that VJ was doing. And if you're not uh, aware of what I'm talking about, go back a couple of episodes and listen to us uh, beyond sustainability um, because the things that he's doing there really were just, I was taking notes, you know, as right. we were having like cocktails. I'm I was like, going to say, and how you were talking you about um, in that episode, you talked about how some of the stuff he was doing obviously wouldn't get the pass here. Uh, yeah, like distillation was the big one because mm -hmm. he has a rotovap. Um, and so we obviously aren't allowed to home distill right. here. Um, but it was really great because I don't know if I mentioned it in that episode or not, but he had a spirit that they were serving that was distilled longan, uh, which is a fruit that's, you know, all over Southeast Asia. And it's really delicious. Um, 
but distilled, it tastes like mezcal. And yeah, I, they blind tasted me on it. I didn't know what it was when they put it down in front of me. And I was just floored. But again, visiting that bar, like our server came over, got our order, got our drinks, whatever. And I was asked Moses, I'm like, this is pretty amazing. I'm like, so who owns this? And he's like, he does. I'm like, who, who he? He's like, our server, VJ, he owns it. I'm like, wow. our server, he really? I'm like, okay. I mean, that really set the tone that like the dude running the place was actually serving the floor. So yeah, it was fun. That was, it really left a mark, man. You know, um, you know, we hit RPM and the old man, which is just got amazing accolades as well. Um, consistently rated with the best bars in Singapore. And it was, it's kind of like got this Hemingway vibe. That's why it's called the old man. It's real cool. Um, but again, you know, we were there such a short time. It was hard to, you know, spend it all in cocktail bars cause we had to eat, <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, I spent a day in the um, Botanic Gardens, which is a UNESCO World Her Heritage Site, the uh, Singapore Botanic Gardens. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't either until we were on the way there. And it was, um, I could just live in botanical gardens in any country. It's just so peaceful. Um, That's where you can go and you can meditate for as long <laughs> yeah. as... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do my inner Arthur Black. It's yeah, not right. very well, but... I mean, they I mean, breed man, like, um, you know, they, they breed all these orchids and stuff there right. and like they name them after famous dignitaries and heads of state. And so you can like go around like, this is the one that we bred for Barack Obama. And <laughs> like, I mean, that was a little less like impressive to be in that particular building, but outdoors, it was crazy. Cause of course there's wildlife in there as well. So you can kind of hear whatever moving around. You're like a little nervous cause you're not sure exactly what it is, but no, it was it was interesting because there's the culture there is really um I don't know how to explain it. Like I mean, it's all over the place and which is what made it really interesting because you kind of have the like the original settlers of the island, the um Peranakan, which we talked a little bit about again with VJ and the Peranakan food, but there's like four languages. There's no official language there. So you'll hear like Tamil or Chinese or Malay or English, because I mean, it's, you know, the English have only been out of Singapore for a brief period, what, 50, 60 years. Right. And um, then they were kind of flirted with, you know, joining up with Malaysia and that didn't work out so well, but that was just a mutual thing. And from my understanding, I'm no historian on Singapore, that's for sure. Um, but no, it was because of that reason, all the hawker centers are, insanely cool like because you can get really badass like chinese food or the peranakan food um but in singapore i mean you have to get the fucking chicken rice man so we went to like the famous one right because the uh, what, tian tian or tian tian i don't know how they say it but like it takes up a double it's like a double wide trailer right like they have like a double wide like stand but again all the centers are like there there's no real street food there it's all contained into these like kind of, you know, food malls. And so like these giant food courts that you can go into, which keeps the place incredibly clean um, in contrast to like Bangkok, where people just roll their cart down the street and just park it wherever they want. And if it's in so front of your of, business. Kind of sticks with their theme of, you know, making sure everything's manicured clean. And So the first day we went in and I, I ordered some, uh, I don't remember what I ordered. I think we had some duck and then we got some Chinese. I mean, you can just get little plates from all over. And then I was like, there's no napkins um, on any of the tables or anything like that. So I went back to the lady that we had bought the food from, 
I'm like, hey, uh, do you have any napkins that I can use? And she said, no, go wash your hands. I'm like, oh my God, okay. And then I looked, but they had sinks all over in the, in the Maxwell Center. I was like, oh, well, that makes more sense. Just go wash your damn hands instead of wasting paper. Right. And so it, there definitely was this vibe of like eco-consciousness on the island. Um, I, I found that actually in a lot of places in the Caribbean as well. If you're living on an island, people are a lot more conscientious of the trash that they're producing because you have a very limited amount of, you well, know, it's hard land. to get supplies in and out. And right. Yeah. What exactly. to do with what you've got in there. Yeah. So, I mean, that was it, you know, the, that, that pretty much covered the trip to Singapore. And then we head back to Bangkok and stayed for like a bit. Um, you know, we traveled a little bit through Thailand, went to like Chantaburi and right. Yeah, it was cool. So what about the first episode was with, Oh, we, we talked with Ronan Kilthy, yeah. um, in Singapore. Yeah. That kid, God, he's 22 years old. Oh, and that's he's right. Doing, the 22-year-old yeah, is already... Like doing things that people wish they could do in their 50s. I'm not even near where he's at. Yeah, he's at 28 Hong Kong Street. So when we headed back to Bangkok, I didn't... The bummer of it was, was I wasn't able to get out immediately. And this kind of harkens back to what I was saying, that we like kind of front-loaded the trip a little too much. It was like we hadn't been for several years, so it's like, well, let's try to catch up. So the whole family, like we rented like three little villas. I say villas, but that's what, you know, they were rooms, but separated up. Um, and uh, this town in Chantaburi, uh, which is on the coast of the Gulf of Thailand, about a four and a half hour drive outside of Bangkok. Um, it was supposed to be like a chill, like little beach getaway, but like we were on a rough choppy area of the Gulf. And so the beach was completely unusable. Um, and we also were in Thailand during rainy season. So in Bangkok, I wasn't having so much of an issue when I was, you know, getting out about because, you know, I was I'm a night person. So like 10 would hit and I'm like, all right, I'll see you guys later. I was always solo going wherever. Now, what is the nightlife there? Is it? There's is a it lot, man. Like it's here. I mean, it's it... no, not. I mean, well, not not in right, it, but in. I mean, yeah, it's definitely it goes, 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 goes. I mean, you Go know, on it's, until six it's in the a city or is of, it one what, of those where thirteen million people right. live in that city, so it's much, much larger than New York City, and so, um, yeah, there's a lot of. It's interesting the cocktail scene there. Um, is well, let's let's jump back to that because uh, I'll get lost of of my oh, my right. food part of it. You know, you're good. Um, when we went to Chantaburi, which was cool, our little beach community, like it was cool. It was pretty relaxed. It rained a lot, so um, you know, some of it was just kind of spent bullshitting. But so we, I found out the one night that I did go out, my brother-in-law and his buddy, like he has a buddy who lives there. So he came and picked us up and it's, it's pretty small town. It's like when you go to like Fort Myers beach, Florida, and you're like, go into town, <laughs> you know, right. and you're like, Oh wow. Like no one really lives here. They're just vacationers. So it's a heavy Sapphire and gym trade in this area. Cause we went to this place and it's not like a big city. It's just a little town. And we went to like the one sports bar in the town. Cause his buddy wanted to go grab a few beers and watch, uh, I, don't, I think man, you were playing. So I don't fucking, know. I don't really watch football that much, but, um, so we were sitting there and I was looking around. I was like, man, there are a bunch of people in here that are clearly not Thai. <laughs> I was like, there were some like African dudes, a couple t like tables away from us next to us. There were some English dudes. I heard French being spoken. And I asked his friend, I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, this is out work. I feel like we're out in the middle of nowhere. Right. 
And he was like, oh, no, 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 it's the gym trade. He's like, so there's a lot of like African gym traders that come through and then UK gym traders. So th that made more sense, but it also kind of was like, ah, it feels a little less like the mystique went away a little bit. We didn't hit the gym markets. I guess there are like trader markets where you can go and buy and sell sapphires and stuff, but I, I don't know anything about that. You can sell me plastic. I'd be like, fuck, I just got ripped off. <laughs> but it's also where 90% of Thailand's uh, durian is grown. And so we ate a lot of durian while we were there. And I mean, I've, I, never, I love had, it. I've never had durian. I love it. Not everybody does. But of course, you know, you also have to take into consideration where you had it. And if you had it anywhere, but like Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, right. Vietnam, you probably didn't have a good one because it doesn't travel well. So they always have to flash freeze it. And it's just not the same once it thaws out. And so we immediately hit it. Um, there was a lot of fruit and we, you know, mangosteens all over the place too, which is like the queen of fruit and durians, the king of fruit. So it's kind of funny. The king and queen are both coming from Chantaburi, but the, um, we ate a lot. And so that kind of, it's a very communal kind of thing because you get a lot in a fruit. And so we'd be like six. And then during those rainy days, we would just kind of like sit underneath this like eating area where you're not supposed to bring your own food, but whatever. The hotel didn't give us crap. That was mostly for foreigners. So it'd be like, don't go out and get McDonald's and bring it back here, assholes. But with Thai people, there was like, it's whatever. We talked with the owners and, you know, of the place. It was pretty chill. It was off season. But yeah, you just would like just open up, you know, your wrapped up durian and just kind of sit around. It was like having coffee or beer. You know, it was a very uh, communal thing. And, and you just kind of chat and, and eat the durian. There's a couple, there's like four main kinds in Thailand. I only saw two. Um, which was uh, the mantong, which is mostly what you see. It's a little sweeter. Um, I liked it. I mean, everybody likes that like the most from what I saw. And But I had the, um, I think it's called kanyao. Um, when we got to Bangkok, we found a really good vendor that had some good kanyao. And it's much softer. It's almost like trying to pick up pudding with your fingers. The fruit on the inside is super custardy. Um, but I really like that, but that's not one of the favorites of the family. And it's also the more expensive one. Um, but it's different flavor. It's, it's a little more funky and a little less sweet, but different um, texture, different, everything. totally. So. Yeah, no, it was really good. So, I mean, it was a cool time. It was also, I had my Indiana Jones moment. <laughs> um, if you look on our Instagram feed, you can see it, but like, as we were heading out, we decided to stop by this like national park that's been there for like hundreds of years. They have waterfalls which they had warned us not to walk up to the waterfalls because it has been raining so heavily in the area that they actually have flash floods in the park. Wow. Um, yeah, but I was like, ah, eh, whatever. <laughs> but as I'm walking up the, like, the trails, there was literally water coming down the trails as I was right. walking up. I was like, I hope that there's not a flash. <laughs> but it's crazy because you get to the top and there's this like stupa. I know Arthur talked about that and when he came back, but of course in Thailand, you see him on the top of every temple. So you just kind of imagine that little like cone looking shape on the top of all the Thai temples. But it was just that, but it was like covered in moss and like overgrown with all these, like this jungle foliage. And I was like, and I was alone because nobody wanted to hike up because of the danger. Well, of course. Nobody wanted to go smart. with me. So I was like, this is amazing. Something of selfies and shit, which I think I posted one, but yeah, I was like, I, you, there was that little, like little kid in you, you know, we were like, nobody's around. I'm fucking Indiana Jones. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I found the top temple of doom. And then I, my wife made her way up 
uh, to where I was. And she was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. She's like, I can't believe they didn't want to come up. And then I turned around, well, I told her my Indiana Jones theory. And she's like, yeah, I mean, kinda. And then I turned around and went up this other trail that's three minutes away. And I'm not shitting you, man. There's a fucking pyramid. And I'm like, oh, wow. aliens, man. This is like, <laughs> why is there a pyramid right. up the side of the mountain? Um, I only later found out that uh, King Rama V, the, the, the uh, fifth king of Thailand, who's been dead for, you know, a century and a half, um, almost two centuries, I guess, um, had actually put the ashes of his first wife in that temple. And he, and he did it because this area is so amazingly beautiful, and he's the one that had the stupa built as well. So it was shocking because I didn't know that stuff was there. I'm just like, la, 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 la. <gasps> You're like, do I have my bag of sand? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You were about to name it for you, weren't you? Oh, yeah, man, totally. Putting my American flag down. This ain't (laughs) yours anymore. (laughs) America. But then it was back to Bangkok, and that's really where we spent, you know, we were there for several weeks because at that point it had been a little bit much of, like, travel, 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 travel. So that's when I really started hitting, like, the cocktails, Uh, the cocktail bars there and kind of getting plugged into um, my circle of friends. I now have a circle of friends um, and I miss you all if you're listening. I'm hoping you're listening, but I miss my friends that find the locker room and find the photo booth. And uh, those are my two like kind of go to places, um, especially photo booth. They were amazing. Speakeasies are real big in Asia. Um, I, nice. From what I talked to people about it, it seems almost like that um, it's a matter of circumstance rather than a business model. Because real estate is quite expensive, you know, if you're um, in the right neighborhood and you're you're street facing, so you can't afford the facade. So a lot of them choose to be in those neighborhoods, but still, they kind of hide it. But they hide them really well, and it's a little frustrating. So I... Well, that's where you needed Moses. Well, so I was in Thailand at this point, though. Moses well, know, going, yeah, like he would have known. So, like, cause some of those places we went to in Singapore, he did know how you to get in. You needed your Moses of uh, I did, and I didn't have one. So, I, the first place I went, I think, was find the locker room. Um, everybody just calls it a locker room. And you had go into this, like, it's it's an area of town, Tonglor, which does have a lot of Falang bars, which Falang is their kind of word for foreigner. It's, it's not necessarily negative. It's less negative than gringo, but it's not like, you know, a friendly word either. It's just, you know, a foreigner, a white foreigner. And so there's a lot of Falang in, in Tonglor. You walk in, they point you to the McDonald's. There was no walk in either. So like I knew that it was going to be a trick because it's in the name, find the locker room. Right. So I kind of had a little bit of a hint about the alley that it was down. So I walked down this alley and I get to the end and it's a dead end and I see some lockers and I'm like, all right. I think I saw this on YouTube. So like I was able to get the door open and like go through, but then you go in and there's, you're not done yet. So then you walk up these stairs and you get in and there's a ton of locker bays. And, but I, I don't really remember because I drank a lot that night, but I think I must have followed somebody in up there. So I didn't have to hunt for the door. Cause when you leave, you don't have to find shit. It's just a door. Like when you're walking out of the bar and when I went back the next night, um, I was like all confident and I got through my first level of lockers and I got up to the second floor and I was like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> I'm like, so I was lo- totally looking like the amateur. I'm like, I'm pulling on the locks, I'm like trying to see if any of them will open before it took me like five minutes to figure it out, but I made it in. But, 
uh, one of the uh, partners there, Ping. Um, I got to know him a little bit while I was in Thailand. He's a super cool guy, owns a few other places as well. And so it, it's, it's just like any scene. Like everybody's plugged into each other. So they all know each other. See, I feel like we need more of those here. The speakeasies? Yes. Man, the it's cool, mystique, but I will tell you. The old fun. Like, granted, it, I mean. After a while, it's real fucking annoying. I will tell you that. Like, I mean, it was cool. Uh, locker room wasn't too tricky. Photo booth was super easy. Um, so it was funny. Like, that's where my real, like, my, my bar family, I consider right. the people at photo booth. Because um, I was there. It was closer. Uh, it was off of, um, it was in Nana, which is known for um, ladies of the evening. Um, so you kind of have to walk past a lot of that and uh, you had to walk by a bunch of creepy dudes also that are talking to them, right. but you know, and then you go into the sports bar. I was going to say, you're not going to go off on an Arthur tangent. <laughs> no, you? I'm not. No, no, no. You wind uh, up we, in a room full of people. It, that... well, and you do, but you feel like you're in maybe, okay, maybe I'm in the wrong area. Maybe I took a wrong turn. You're trying to figure it out using Google maps, but Google maps does not work to get into these places because the, it shows wrong addresses intentionally. In fact, even on Instagram, if you try to like, um, you put your location in as find the photo booth. It doesn't have an address or a GPS location on it when you do it. And so the first night I went in, someone followed me back to the photo booth and opened the door, the secret door for me because it was, um, it was jacked up or something like that. So then I leave to go to the restroom, which is downstairs inside the sports bar still and it's like a real deal sports bar like there's pool tables they're showing games and all the girls are wearing you know like referee short shorts and like referee tops and i go to the bathroom and i go back i'm like all confident like go back to the photo booth I'm like ah, i got this and they didn't follow me because they figured well you already went up there once you know how to get up there and i'm like okay i know where the door is but i don't remember how they opened it I like pushed on it and I fucking jacked it up. I broke it off the tracks and like <laughs> I got scolded for it by this, some dude at the sports bar and he's like, you pushed on it. I'm like, I didn't, I just, I didn't. And yeah, I felt you like totally a, did. I felt like a real asshole. I was like, right. I was in the back trying to fix it before anybody noticed, like get the door back on the tracks because like what happens is you go and you like, you take some photos. I'm not going to ruin the experience for anybody, but you go into the photo booth, take some photos um, and you'll be my, quite surprised at a secret door opening while the photos are being taken. Um, so while I was sitting there a lot of nights, it was cool because like, there would be people wandering in that had no idea what they were doing. They just went to take pictures in the photo booth, and then, <laughs> the and then they end up in a, like a magical bar upstairs. And are like, what is this place? Because it's pretty swanky up there. Yeah, and that's where like my best friend boss, was. that's where she works with my best Thai friend. Um, and so I hung out with her a lot and, and, and her boss as well. And um, no, it was a good team, man. Even their apprentices were amazing. I just, I had a good time. The whole like cocktail scene in Bangkok is very Japanese, right. kind of plugged in. The way they bartends, you know, um, they use cobbler shakers. They don't use the double like nested tins like we do mostly here. Um, you know, the ice. I mean, it's just everything slow, deliberate, very professional. The apprenticing, all that. I, I just, I was really, really impressed by what they had going on. Uh, and Bangkok. I had a great time. Now, mind you, there's a kind of a double-edged sword for these places, which is, um, by necessity, the, the cocktails are a little bit pricey. So they can range anywhere from like about 380 to about 450 baht, which in US dollars, you're looking at, you know, anywhere from about nine to $13 a cocktail. Um, and that's normal for a craft cocktail yeah, here. I was gonna say. But that's quite pricey by Thai standards. You know, you can get a bottle of, you know, 
Johnny Walker Black. I mean, that's that's typically what we would do. If you're going to have a night out, you would just go and get a bottle right. at the bar and you pay. I don't know what you pay, honestly. I didn't buy them. But, you know, f- for the price of my three cocktails, you could have just got a whole bottle of scotch. Right. And so um, it's from what everyone, and we talked a little bit about this on some of the interviews um, with the people living in Thailand, like Nick's um, on the previous episode. And um, also... Uh, with Sebastian, but it's the trick of like, you know, getting that good mix of Falang and locals, you know, but it's still a hard time convincing the locals that like 400 baht is worth, uh, you know, the money to get a, a good cocktail. And with the foreigners, um, it's because they are very often hidden bars, you know, it's hard to kind of get them in there because a lot of the foreigners just, they want to go to the dance clubs or they want to go to just, you know, like the uh, like soy cowboy where there's like a lot of they're kind of like strip clubs but they don't really strip it's and well, so like that, the problem that especially draws people in and then you the, you're the, all the bar owners are kind of left right. screwed you know well it's kind of the problem with uh, well I'll just take it from the American side anyway um, we want easy right yeah just look at a sign and say that's where we go and let's go yeah. You don't want an adventure. You don't want to go mm-hmm. find things. You don't want to have fun with it. And so I think the people that I ran into in those bars that were foreigners, I mean, they were having a good time, but I, I definitely, it was, it seemed like the industry was feeding itself as often happens in a burgeoning cocktail scene um, where, you know, you sit down at the bar and like half the people there were bartenders somewhere else um, or, you know, they were trying to get in. And so, I mean, I met a lot of people that way and that's how I kind of got my circle of friends by doing that and just kind of hanging and talking. And I handed out Inferno Room like lapel pins everywhere I went. And so big props to uh, my photo booth friends because they all wear them on their black like chef coats that they wear at the bar every night. And like it stands out because it's orange and they definitely um, were showing us love. So that was appreciated. But I handed them out everywhere I went and, you know, it was... um, you know, you weren't finding a lot of tiki, but I did not have was, a hard time I was about finding. To ask, um, what was the tiki scene like? So there isn't one really. Mm-hmm. Um, Sebastian, you know, he's kind of got one foot into the tiki, kind of introducing the tropical cocktails, and and it is tricky because there is the perception of like a mai tai. So if you go to the touristy areas like Soy Cowboy or Kalsan Road and you order a Mai Tai, you're going to get the shitty one that has like orange juice and pineapple juice and like grenadine and just it's the tourist, you know, the resort's Mai Tai. And so uh, I didn't have any issue getting a a proper Mai Tai in the places I went. Um, But again, those guys were just encyclopedias of of knowledge on on classic cocktails. And so um, it was... That aspect of it, I really love the cocktail scene there. I think there's a lot of good things happening. Um, And as evidenced by our previous episodes, um, you know, Asia Today, Teens of Thailand. But I didn't have an opportunity to sit down with any of my friends from uh, Photo Booth or Locker Room. But um, really, really had a good time in both those places. Was there a lot. Also didn't get a chance to uh, really... uh, Talk to anybody at Vesper, but Vesper was amazing as well. And they just had opened... Sebastian, in fact, took me over... It was a soft open night of this bar, 1919, which is attached to Vesper, same owners, but um, their bar manager is like this Campari world champion. And so it's an Italian joint and a lot of Italian uh, Amari and bitter drinks. And it was fantastic, man. I mean, we, we really had a good time. And then, of course, it just branches out. Like uh, Nick's recommended several places to me, like probably the best meal I had in Thailand 
was on his recommendation. Nice. Street Where food. Where was that at? Oh, street food? Well, street food, uh, so a very particular vendor, and I hadn't realized this when we went, but they were recently um, had a, about a five-minute feature on that Netflix street food episode oh, yeah, from yeah. Thailand. So it was Jek Pui Curry. Right, I've um, heard of that one. Yeah, and so like they, some people call it like the Red Stool <laughs> restaurant, but there's no restaurant. Like there's just uh, on the sidewalk, they have like about 20 Red Stools, the squat stools, right, that are like right. 14 inches tall. There's no tables. And you could just go and you get your curry and you hold it in your hands and you eat it. And when you're done, you get up, unless you're a dick. And some people aren't getting up. You're like, come on, man, I want to sit down. Right. But, they, oh, my God, so good. They're like, yeah, that um, had an amazing curry, like the Autocar Market, which is kind of this mix between like a botanic market. And like there's also food stalls and stuff. But right. I have no idea what kind of curry I had, but it was it was like a dry curry. It was beautiful but that was like damn near our last you know few days um the you know we had well actually also on nix's uh recommendation we went to tep bar which is one of the og like craft cocktail bars in bangkok so it's in kind of a it's an area of chinatown that's not quite developed yet um but it's getting there man it's in large part because of tep and asia today and um, he was like, dude, you want the best pad thai in the city? It's over there. And I'm like, eh, I don't really do the pad thai. I'm in Bangkok usually because it's like, yeah, you know, it's pad thai. And he's like, no, seriously, dude, it's like legit. So we walked over there. Yeah, it was pretty fucking legit. <laughs> like, it was it was like my first full plate of pad thai I've ever purchased in, in Thailand. Usually I just um, will bite off somebody else's plate or that's it. But yeah, I mean, that kind of, you know, all my nights were spent in the bars. Um the daytimes, you know, kind of hung out a little bit, shopping a bit, um, you know, kind of following the crew around. I was with my sisters-in-law quite a lot, or my brother-in-law. Um, the, I mean, I think the only standout shopping-wise is I scared the shit out of my family. I don't think it's any surprise to anyone on the show that, I, like, I, um, I'm into the occult and, you know, occult artwork. And so we were in the um Harat, which is this um, amulet market. Um, and I, I guess, you know, technically if you're Buddhist, you're not supposed to wear amulets, things like that. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not Buddhist. Um, and But as we were walking through this one place, you would have loved it, dude. In fact, I thought about you while I was there, man, because it looks like the kind of fucking place where you would buy a mogwai. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> like, it was down, like, literally, she's just about... I don't know, a foot off of the Chaparaya River. Right. In between the floorboards, you could see the water. Like, you, I mean, it was humid. It was dark. It was dank. There was no air circulation. And there was some creepy shit. I walked by and I saw some skulls in there. And I'm like, I'm going to stop in here. And they had some pretty dark stuff in there. And so there was a couple pieces that really called out to me. And I told my wife. And she was like, I mean, if you want it. And then we call... My sister-in-law over, and she was a little like, uh, do you know what this is? Like, so it was effectively Northern Thai voodoo. Um, <laughs> and so this one particular statue that I bought <laughs> was of uh, Kumon Tong, or sometimes called Hong Plai, um, in uh, like Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai area, Northern Thailand, like Isan. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a long story. You can look it up if you want to look up like Kumon Tong, but... Um, I brought it back to the condo we were staying, which is my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and their two kids. And everybody was kind of like nervously like, oh, okay, that's cool. And, 
But they were like really like you have to invite that to come into the the condo. Like invite Hong Plai to come into the condominium. Um, so they were very ritualistic about it. Very freaked out by it. And so I did. The next morning I woke up a little late because I'd been at the bars all night. Probably photo booth. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And I um, I rolled in or I rolled out of the bedroom and the kitchen and there was like apparently some sort of like family meeting happening without me. <laughs> and the decision had been made that it needed to leave. Like they wouldn't let me have it in the condo. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'd like pack it up, put it back in a box and like go have it checked um, for the remaining three weeks of my trip. Because nobody wanted this anything or this anywhere. But you brought them. it back with you, right? Oh, I did. Yeah, absolutely. I have this amazing, like you know, shrine now. It and like, yeah, it's totally cool. Well, she's accustomed to my like right. proclivities towards the occult now, so um, that doesn't freak her out. Does that too keep much. the uh, the uh, in laws away though? Or are they going to stay with? So the actually, house? they did all say that they weren't going to sleep in my basement anymore <laughs> because I mean, I've got it, and I've got it. Like set with uh, this beautiful bowl from uh, Pop Tiki in Colorado, which is like an inverted skull. Um, I am being held by my wife to um, leaving offerings every morning because it's she's okay with it. But you know, as long as, as long as you keep it like, happy, the rituals are being followed. Um, and I also put my like my Hellraiser uh, lament configuration puzzle box next to it. Now, so. if only I could find a way to keep my in-laws out, then <laughs> right. Well, I put your gremlin. I, I swear know, to God, right. I think that this lady probably had fucking gremlins or dinosaur eggs or something. And I mean, it, and so actually, I ended up going back there to get a um, this carving. Um, it was, I made sure it was not ivory before I left. Um, it was from a. a she suspects a seal that had died, you know, and there was, and it had all these like kind of carvings on the tooth um, that, again, I can't read it. Right. It's supposed to be some sort of protective omen. So I gave that as a gift to Chris, but I did make sure I was like, this isn't ivory, right? And right. like, just want to make sure this is not, no animal was killed for this tooth. Right. And she was like, no, 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 they, you know, and she was a practitioner. Mm -hmm. So like all the stuff in her shop had actually gone through this process of like, inviting the spirits into yeah i mean because she had this shrine in the back where like the stuff when she so would she get it the rituals too so that when um, you take it home you know how to properly do it or is so it, just it wasn't like there was any set rituals but it was just like paying respect um you know it's almost like having uh like the little egg in high school that you have to like you know like here's your little baby you have to take care of and so yeah, that was a cool place. Keep but that Jobu was like, happy. Right, exactly. Happy. That's funny because Jobu is next to Hong Pai in my, in my basement. <laughs> so Jobu gets an offering of rum because um, it is very bad to touch Jobu's rum. So he's, he, right. he, guards, he guards my rum selection. But yeah, after that, we went to Vietnam. It was kind of quick in and out. But I will tell you, it was the highlight of the whole trip. Nice. Um, I would love to spend a year or two in, in Hanoi. Um, Vietnam in general, but I really, really liked Hanoi. We well, need to take the uh, Arthur Black route and just quit everything. Yeah, I, man, it's tempting. I'll tell you that <laughs> after being there for so long, I don't right. know how he came back because I damn near didn't want to. I mean, I didn't want to. I damn near didn't. You know, if it wouldn't be for the restaurants and the bars, I probably wouldn't have. Um, it's, but no, Hanoi is great. I mean, it's. <laughs> so, like the one thing that stands out immediately when you get to to. Hanoi, and I can only speak for Hanoi. I didn't go to Ho Chi Minh City. Um, so it's like 4 million people live there, but like 3.5 million motor scooters. And the roads are all really, really, really um, narrow, like um, kind of old Europe. And you go into like Italy or France or Sicily. Um, 
it's like that. So you don't see a lot of cars for two reasons. One, they have like a 400% markup um, on the tax. And two, you just simply can't get around that easily in them. Um, but what's crazy is like, I mean, in Bangkok, obviously there's a lot of motor screws as well, but you, um, if you step into the street in Bangkok, you're risking your life, whether you're walking on a crosswalk that says you can walk or not. Like, I mean, it's very, very dangerous. You've got to be very aware of what's going on because people will run you over, um, at any time, whether you have the right of way or not. So we get to Hanoi and there's scooters everywhere. And it's just, I mean, thousands of them. There are no stoplights or stop signs at any intersection. Like, and nobody stops. They just go in like it's a roundabout. But oh no, I've I've seen YouTube videos of like intersections and stuff. It's it's, it's like watching two schools of fish cross each yes. other, but yet somehow no one hits each yeah. other. And it was the calmest for all of that happening. It was the calmest traffic I've ever seen. Like, it's no one hit anybody the whole time we were there. The scary part was that like the sidewalks are all full of vendors. Um, that you have no choice but to walk along the side of the street. So you're kind of where the runoff of the water would be. And it's horrifying. Or crossing a street. You just walk out into the street because there's no crosswalk. And when you walk out in the street, it's just, again, like I said, it's like a school it's of fish just going around you. Right. They just go around you. So that's that was the advice we were given. Like, do be conscious of the cars because they take up a lot of room going down these narrow streets. But the scooters... They don't want to hit you any more than you want to get hit. So they said, keep a steady pace. Don't try to anticipate them. Don't speed up, slow down as you're walking across. Just walk with purpose and they will go around you. And it's real freaky the first time you do that because you just step out and then it just, the seas part around your just like your little like 12 inch bubble around your body and they're just whipping past you. But it it works, man. It It totally works. And... It's funny, I, I know it's comedy, and I listen to Kyle Kinane's comedy a lot, and he has this joke about, like, you know, people being assholes and having stereotypes, and he's like, dude, there's this stereotype that um, that Asians can't drive. He's like, bullshit. He's like, I was in fucking South Korea, man, in this, like, roundabout with 9,000 scooters just whirring. He's like, I see a guy cut off a bus with nine chickens and his family. He didn't lose the ash off his cigarette. He's like, don't know how to drive. He's like, they get to the U.S. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can handle a fucking merge, right. <laughs> you know? And I mean, he's right. Like, it's I, there's no way. There's I, there's absolutely no way I could drive in Bangkok or anywhere in Vietnam. I mean, it was insanity, dude. Um, but the they also, uh, speaking to the bar scene there, it's um, also real big on the speakeasy thing. I didn't get to go to as many. Um, but man, they, they turned the speakeasy thing to like 14. Like I, I, I walked around lost the first night. I was like, I knew where I was going, but I had no SIM cause we were only there for a short stay. I didn't want to buy a SIM. I didn't end up buying one the next day because of this experience. So we, um, rolled through, uh, we were having dinner and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to roll over to this cocktail bar. She says it's about 10 minute walk. Cause we had Wi-Fi at that time. So it should be about 10 minute walk. I'm going to walk over there find this joint. And it was super hidden. So I get to the place where I think it is, and it's not there at all. And I'm looking around. I can't find it. So then I started, like, just kind of exploring to try to find it. And I got way off the beaten path, and I got really lost. And I had no phone. You don't realize how connected you are to that phone. I had no GPS. I couldn't call a taxi because it had gotten so late, so there were no taxis around. I couldn't call a Grab, which is, like, Uber. I couldn't call a grab because I didn't have my phone. 
I couldn't call any of our family to be like, hey, can somebody figure out where I am? So I was just stuck, like old school lost. Right. Well, I like, can only imagine. I mean, hell, last night Comcast was out all day. Yeah. And we're just sitting around going, what the fuck do we do? Yeah, man. So it was, it if was, you're in a place without a phone where you can look and you something up. you can't read the street and, names. Yeah, exactly. So like every, a lot of the streets in Hanoi are named after generals, uh, Vietnam or Viet Minh generals. Um, and so you're like, I think I walked by this street already, but I'm not sure. So I ended up giving up and it took me an hour and a half to get back to my hotel. I, I was like, okay, that's a landmark I think I recognize. Because also, like 12, a lot of the street vendors shut up shop. So all the awnings get pulled in. Everything gets put away. So you lose all your landmarks. Right. Um, so we, I was able to get back to the hotel. I went back the next day to a different bar called Mad Botanist. And I have to be, give a big shout out to Kong at the Mad Botanist. And he, he may or may not hear this. But um, he didn't have a real busy night when I was sitting at his bar. He's got a gin bar. And um, really fantastic place, man. Great drinks. The the atmosphere was cool with the bartenders, the clientele, and um, somebody made the comment like, oh, you're into gin, you should talk to that guy. I'm like, who's that guy? He's the owner. So Kong came over, and he's this pretty muscular dude. He introduces himself. He looks like he's about 30, maybe he's younger than that, you know? Um, and he's like, well, you know, where have you been? And I told him about that whole debacle. And he's like, oh, you want to go there? Like, yeah, man. He's like, cool, let's go there right now. Like, All right. So I paid my tab and I walked with him. It was literally just w practically a walk across a courtyard. Um, but it was down like this alley that I would have never found because it was a walking only alley that was maybe 30 inches wide. And it was just it went to other people's like apartments. Um, and like you go to the third door, it's dark, but it's painted a different color than all the rest of the doors. That's the only way you know. And then there's a buzzer, which I would have thought would have just been somebody's like buzzer. So I wouldn't have like... I, I don't think I would have found it anyway. Do you and we think hit that it people just wind up, wind up walking into somebody's apartment I, from time I to time? Maybe, looking for you these know, places? I, I mean, it's, dude, it's seriously, they, it was so nondescript. It totally, that could have been the case because, I mean, even going in and I was like, not even sure, like, like it, it felt like real speakeasy, like not in the fact that like it was a secret entrance or anything, but like you go in and... The dude behind the bar. So, like, we went right at closing time, so it, the crowd had thinned out. There are no lights in, on in this place, and it's, pla it's called uh, Longer Than a Summer. And um, you roll in, there's no lights on at all. There's, like, eight, nine candles lighting up the place, you know? Um, there's soft music being played, like, on vinyl. So, like, I did notice that, like, all the cool bars in Asia were playing vinyl. So, like, it was amazing, man. I really, as a, you know... Um, vinyl collector myself it was super cool like rpm in singapore had this uh, jesus christ so huge selection or collection that, that was part of their like decor as well but yeah the, we went to longer than a summer and it was like you know i didn't i don't remember there being a menu but i'd had a few by that point and i was with kong so he kind of ordered for us had a great they concentrate on whiskey scotch whiskey mostly um had a great drink but then like the couple next to us was like I don't know, getting a little raucous, but nothing crazy. And he like kind of shushed him a little bit, you know? And um, and I was like, shit. I mean, are we like for real in a illegal bar? You know, like, I mean, I still don't know the answer to that. I, I, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, no, it was like, it was like getting the real, 
uh, experience. You could be and shut so down at any minute. The bartender had told me that like the bar was all about the experience of like enjoying the drink and the community, and that's why it would, they keep the lights down real low, right. and everything's it's it's about you know being more aware of your senses um, instead of just this onslaught of like here check out my cool really loud hip hop soundtrack and stuff like that. So. Um, but the so reason this I more to, my style anyway. It was super cool, man. And like I said, I have to thank Kong again for taking me there. Not only that, but he also recommended um, Sampan rum to me. I was on the hunt for a um, agricole style rum that's produced in the South, and I couldn't find any. And um, he recommended Sampan rum to me. Uh, unfortunately, I got it like as we were heading out of the city um, and to go back to Bangkok. Because if I would have known about it, I probably would have tried to schedule a little trip to go see the distiller and his operation. Um, but are you able to get stuff like that shipped in? Um, I mean, I could have family members bring me a bottle or two here, but I mean, you couldn't sell it. No, that's, that violates, um, you know, import customs and also TTB, you know, cause you, you know, you're not officially importing alcohol. So yeah, it was, um, I also picked up a really beautiful gin called Songkai, um, quite pricey. Like even by American standards, it was like $81 for a bottle. I guess they only made 500 bottles, but it also produced just outside of Hanoi. Um, delicious, but that's going to be one for the special martinis, you know, or whatever the special gin and tonics, because it, it did cost me a little bit of money. So yeah. And then it was kind of back, back to the States, you know, I don't know. It was, um, it's weird to get adjusted to being back. Because, I mean, after five weeks, you officially feel like a resident. I was going to say, you were, you were gone for a while. It wasn't yeah. just like a, a week's day or two weeks' day. It was a month. Well, you said five weeks. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely... I, I could have parked myself in Vietnam or Bangkok and just stayed. I was going to say... If I, I mean, like I said, if I was in Arthur boot, Arthur's boots, I probably would have. Listening to uh, the interviews, that's what a lot of people did. Yeah, they just totally. come in and they stay. Yeah, From Sebastian Sweden's was crazy, crazy man. Just come in and stay. It was crazy. Sebastian just like literally like I was like, you know, how did you choose Bangkok? Right. And you know, and he was like obviously it was it was part business because he was going to go to work in Japan, but then they kind of transferred him to Bangkok, but he told me like kind of off mic, I believe. He's like I'd never seen a palm tree before. And I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah." So I was like, "I figured out Bangkok. That'd be cool. I can see palm trees." <laughs> Wow, that's a way to make a life decision. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I mean, in the podcast, he did talk about how nice it was to be in a warm climate. As yeah, to yeah, being... going from Sweden to... Right. It's so hot there, man. Like, I mean, you take, like, three showers a day at least. You know, if you're, if you're waking up early and going out and exploring, you know, we hit a lot of the temples, of course. There's temples about... There, there are more temples in Bangkok than there are, like... Baptist churches in Alabama, <laughs> like, you know, like, right? They're everywhere, and so it's real neat because they're all really beautiful and ornate. And it's, um, you know, I, I called it our um, Thai Temple Tour 2019 um, because we definitely hit a lot of places. But um, I don't know, you know, I always feel weird going into like because I'm into the darker stuff. So I don't know if anybody's like feels strange about me going in with them, you know? Um, but no, it was really, it was educational. It was fun. I really enjoyed that part and it was good to see family, but yeah, it makes it harder to come back. The longer you are away, the harder it is to come back. And well, sounds like it too. I mean, there's an adventure around every corner there. Yeah. That too, as I'm a city guy, I really mm -hmm. like that. And when you could literally walk out of our condo, uh, and just walk shit, man, 
like mm-hmm. 20 meters down the alley right. and there were like 45 vendors selling and this is like 7 a.m this is breakfast right you can get like whole fried fish um you know any number of curries stir fries pack a pow like so much great stuff and you're like god no one has a kitchen there man right so in bangkok like almost nobody and none of the condos if they have a kitchen they're like they're worse than the kitchen you had in like university oh wow because there's just no need Right. Because you can walk down the street and get a full meal for like five American dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's what we would do in the morning to get breakfast. My brother-in-law and I would just go downstairs from the condo, walk down the alley. Uh, that, that guy has good fish. Let's buy a couple fish there. Let's get some of that curry, buy some of that rice, get some of that fruit. All right, we got breakfast. Let's go back up. Right. <laughs> you know? God, I'd kill for that here. I know, man. This that's, that was the, I'd said the hardest thing for me to be able or to have to leave behind and, and not have access to that I'm going to miss the most. Um, it's definitely the street food for sure. Um, and, and the Vietnamese street food is just off the charts. Amazing as I well. I mean, I'm happy when they, when they got the brat guys right. downtown. I mean, yeah. that makes my day, Some but you don't trucks. see them very often. But I, the other would be like pandan, putting pandan and, and cocktails. And, um, you know, obviously you see a lot of coconut and cocktails as well, but man, the pandan I'm going to really miss cause we don't get that fresh here. Right. So I don't know, man. I mean, it's, you know, there's so much more to happen. We couldn't cover it all in an episode, and I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna just take command of my own show and like, <laughs> right. be like the next 17 episodes are about my thing. But no, it was cool, and I definitely wanted to like, you know, throw some love to the people that did take care of me. Like I said, check out Mad Botanist and Hanoi um, longer than a summer. That was amazing. Um, Find a phone booth, you know, or find a photo booth, find, find, photo booth and find the locker room. Yeah. Those places were definitely home for me. I really, really felt welcomed. And I met a lot of people there that became close friends that I suspect I'll know for a long time. Look up Moses. Yeah, man. Moses Co. <laughs> so he actually just started um, a website that keeps track of all the cocktail events going on in Singapore um, because he's in the know. Right. And there, they do so many guest shifts and things like that in Singapore because it's so centralized that um, he actually started tracking it. So you could see it any given night, who's got something going on, whose anniversary's rolling, whatever. And um, I, I'll find the link and post it, but I, uh, I can't remember it now. But yeah, it's, um, but we, we've posted a couple of his um, announcements on our Facebook page. So if you go on there, you can find and link through. But yeah, Moses Co. he's the man. <laughs> find your Sherpa, find your Moses. <laughs> it's gonna be my new mantra especially in bangkok oh yeah that's you gotta find one for bangkok in bangkok you know you just need to find one good place just like any city that's always my recommendation go find a bar that you like and then ask the bartenders where else you should go um with myself you know i had the end of i already had some podcasts scheduled um and so you know then they're like hey what are you doing tonight why don't you just follow me so you know very quickly got a good overview of where to be drinking and where the, where the cool kids hang. It was the Sebastian <laughs> episode that you were talking about, uh, not, not doing another beach bomb berry. Uh, Oh Jesus. Yeah, no, we didn't get hammered on any of them. That's for sure. I, I, I'm going to try to not drink that much during any more, uh, podcast. That was, I'm. it's going to be my fucking gravestone is going to say Mahalo Satan. I know I've had to, at least with, at least with Jeff, he got drunk along with me. Like we were right. <laughs> I don't think I ever told anybody this, and I know we're running short on time here, Um, but he texted me the the morning after we did that podcast, and he Uh said, hey, man, um, 
I don't know if I said anything stupid yesterday, but like, I don't remember even doing the podcast. <laughs> and I said, don't worry, man, I'm in the same boat. And then he responded back with, with uh, it's pretty fucking cool though, that we like have an audio record of a night that neither one of us remember. <laughs> uh, I was like, you know, I guess it is kind of cool. I will say throughout that entire episode, though, he keeps it a little more together than you do. Oh, yeah, he does. Well, until you get to like the 32nd minute, and he really starts hitting him pretty hard. But yeah, that well, yeah, there was, um, yeah. It, it, after we left there, it got a little rougher after we were done. <laughs> um yeah, there were some slips and falls and some knocking into stuff. And yeah, <laughs> right. wobbly would be an understatement. And that wasn't on my end. But well, I think the picture says enough. I went to a rum fire party. Yeah, no, the picture that was taken literally 30 seconds after we right. walked out. I didn't have a camera. I didn't even think to take a picture for the episode for the show but it's notes. it's perfect. It's blurry. It's... Yeah. And so Chris got it as we were walking out of the room. He goes, I just walked around the corner. And he was wearing your fez and you were wearing his hat and you were both laughing and hugging like you'd known each other for 40 years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I'm a happy drunk. So is he. So, you know, we might be dumb when you drink, but I don't get aggressive and start fights or anything like that. So, but all right, well, let's wrap this up, man. Okay. Uh, I appreciate you like coming on and being my, my voice to listen to or, you know, ask questions where need be. I had so much stuff to unpack. I feel like I just, you know, <laughs> well, steamrolled it. It's been a, it's been a monologue, but we got to do it before you forgot it all, too. I, that was it, right? Like I was afraid that I was going to start forgetting things, and you know, two years from now, like, oh, that's right, I did go to that bar. Right. So, cool, man. Well, Brad, you don't do this often enough, but um, you know, we we'll have to get you on some more episodes. Jumping in here, and I need to go to Asia so I can keep up and actually, yes. actually keep up with. That's the right. You're the only. You're out of the the two of the three of us. Yeah, I've been in the last six months. You got to jump on it. I know, right? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, unfortunately, I don't have any hangover cures uh, that I found out. Had plenty of hangovers. No cures other than coconut water is amazing, and you can get it everywhere in the streets in Bangkok. But here, a little bit trickier. But. Um, yeah, no luck on that one. Sorry, folks. But um, until next time, we got some cool episodes coming up here very, very, very soon. So check us out at shiftdrinkpodcast.com, and you can find us on all the platforms, Google, uh, Spotify, iTunes. Spotify, oh, There's iTunes. no more iTunes. It's just it's podcast, right? It's yeah, just, Apple uh, Podcasts. Right, the uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Podcast. They killed the iTunes store. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can go. Uh, are we on Spotify? Yeah. Awesome, I didn't I never look. I think we are. <laughs> That's if your not, job, man. If not, we will be. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks, Brad. And to all of you out there, again, stay tuned. Subscribe because we got some real cool stuff coming up soon. Cheers. Ciao.